podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. Don't, don't be upset by a northern walk. Ronaldo, he looked at me, smiled, he never done it again. What's in there, Mickey? He went, oh, that's about 300 grand in there, kid. If I'm on the opposite end of an argument, Piers Morgan, that's a very comfortable position that I'm happy to be in. I think I'd be up there with one of the most irritating cricketers. Tom, we were getting on so well until that question. <laughs> you boys are get absolutely hammered. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast, the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic teenagers who interview some of the biggest names within the world of sport. From world champions, World Cup winners, international athletes, Ryder Cup golfers, Ashes heroes, and many other sportsmen and women, we delve deep into their sporting career, the highs and the lows, and what makes them one of the best athletes in their sport. But that's enough for me. I'm going to hand you over to the stars of the show, Tom and Avatar, who host the podcast, and I'll let them introduce today's guest. See you later. That Norwood School is a school for autistic children and young adults. And we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS Sports Podcast is a former Welsh rugby player. He has played 81 times for Wales, played in two World Cups and won the Six Nations three times. Welcome to the podcast, James Hook. Uh, th- thanks for having me, guys. Great to be on you. We we like to start our podcasts with some quick fire questions. Are you ready? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. If you could go back to one year in your life, what would it be and why? Oh, in terms of my rugby career, or just in general? That is Daniel. Uh, oh, that's a good question. That. Um, I think probably my wedding day was a nice day, actually. I got married in 2011. That was a nice day. So, yeah, that, that was a day, a day I'd probably go back to, yeah. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? <laughs> oh, Alan Wynne-Jones. If you could trade Lars with anyone for a day, who would it be and why? Cristiano Ronaldo. Just because uh, he's an unbelievable footballer. Love, love him as a footballer. So, yeah, probably him. Um, he were your sporting heroes growing up. And how do you um, getting into rugby in the first place? Uh, so my sporting heroes were um, Neil Jenkins. Mm. used to play for Wales um, and Pontypridd in, in the in the 90s, early 2000s. Um, and I also liked Robert Jones as well. I was uh, I was a scrum half growing up, uh, so I played number nine. So Robert Jones was number nine for Wales, so I used to enjoy watching him as well. Um, and I, I got into rugby when I was five years old. Uh, I played with my brother, who's two years older than me. Um, I just played in his under-age team. Um, and yeah, I just loved it ever since You know, I started, really. And uh, yeah, I went on from there. What are your memories of playing rugby as a teenager? So as a teenager, uh, I played most of my rugby for uh, Aberavon, which is a club in, in Port Albert. Uh, and then I, I played for Aberavon Youth as well uh, at the age of sort of 15, 16. So, yeah, just my my memories of playing as a teenager were a lot of local rugby, 
playing for Aberavon, playing for my school, Glenavon Comprehensive, which um, has it's been knocked down now. Uh, so that, that school is gone. But uh, yeah, they're probably my memories of, uh, of being a teenager and playing rugby. Yeah. In 2004, you made your debut for Neath and Ospreys. What was that like to make your professional debut? Yeah, I, I, I loved it. So I, I played for, for Neath, first of all. And um, I remember I was on the bench for Neath and there was a televised game against Swansea and Sean Connor was, was starting the game, but he came off injured after about 15, 20 minutes. So I got onto the pitch and um, ended up having a, you know, a pretty good game and then just cemented my place in the Neath team then. Uh, and then later on in that season, uh, I played, I came off the bench against uh, Cardiff Blues uh, for the Ospreys. So to make my debut for Neath and the Ospreys in that year was uh, yeah, pretty special. In your first season with the Ospreys, you played with some great players such as Adam Jones, Alan Wynne-Jones, Gavin Henson and Lee Byrne. What was it like to play with these players? Oh, it was amazing. And, you know, we had... The, the boys you just mentioned there were, were all Welsh players, but we had a lot of overseas players as well. Um, like New Zealanders, like Justin Marshall, Philo Tiatia, Marty Holler, uh, Stefan Tablanch, the South African fullback. So we had an amazing team. So I, I, I was just a, a young boy living my dream, playing in a, in a very good team. And, and I'm lucky enough then to win some, some trophies as well. So, yeah, good memories from, from my early Ospreys days. We had... We have read lots of different stories about one of your former teammates. What was it like to play with Gavin Hansen? <laughs> uh, he, he was an unbelievable player. and I was coming through with the Ospreys. I was uh, a young outside half and, and Gavin um, had obviously made his mark for Wales in, in 2005, winning the Grand Slam and having standout performances there. So to come into a team and, and play with a player such as such as Gavin, who had so much knowledge of the game and, you know, was a classy player. So I loved my time playing with him and um, he's a good bloke as well. So, yeah, it's, it's nice to uh, to spend a lot of my early days in the Ospreys playing with him and, and obviously with Wales as well. You you then playing in the 2006 um, Cowwealth Cal game for um, Wales. What are your memories of that game? Well then, so you played in the 2006 Commonwealth Games for Wales. What are your memories of playing in the Commonwealth Games? Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember actually got called up when I was playing for Neath to, to represent Wales Sevens. And my first tournament in the Sevens competition was um, was in Dubai, sorry. And uh, I played in Dubai and then South Africa. Um, and then I played in um, Dubai, South Africa, Hong Kong as well. And then the Commonwealth Games was my last Sevens tournament. Um, in Melbourne and it, it was an amazing competition and we we got to the plate final against South Africa and it was a really tense game and um, ended up scoring the try to to win the plate competition and it was, it was an amazing feeling and just with sevens I think you, it helped me a lot in my 15 aside game because you get a, a feel for for space in defence and attack and you know you've got these quick quick boys you're playing against with, with great feet and you have to learn how to defend against them and obviously an attack, how to beat them. So I, I learned an awful lot in uh, the four tournaments I played for Wales. You then made your full international debut in 2006 against um, Argentina. What was like, it like 
you make your debut? I, uh, I again, I was, I was playing for Neath, and um, I, I was contracted by the Ospreys um, in, in, with the academies, but I, I hadn't actually started a game for the Ospreys. Uh, and in my second season, when Neath had a phone call to say I was selected for the Wales Summer Tour to Argentina, and obviously I was delighted, um, and I, I couldn't quite believe it because. I hadn't started for the Ospreys and I felt I probably had to establish myself in the, in the Ospreys team before I played for Wales. But no, to be fair, Nigel Davis and Gareth Jenkins were the coaches and Nigel Davis said to me before I went on the tour, he said, you know, you're on this tour to, to play. You're not there just to make up the numbers and, and just hold the tackle pads. pads. And um, true to his word, I was on the bench for the first game, came on. Um, and then my second test, I started. So, yeah, it's an amazing experience and something as a young boy you dream of. To finally get your first Welsh Cup was an amazing feeling. Throughout your career, you played in a number of different positions, such as fly half, inside centre and fullback. Did it frustrate you that coaches didn't play you in one position? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. And <clears throat> it's actually a question I get asked an awful lot. And um, sometimes, you know, I say it was probably a hindrance, but it was probably you know a bit of a blessing as well because if I couldn't play that many positions, maybe I wouldn't have got as many Welsh caps as I did. But um, I always explain uh, and go back to 2007, uh, 2011 Six Nations pretty much sums up my career. I, I started 15 against England uh, in the first Six Nations game. And then the, the second game, I was, uh, I was playing 13. Uh, against, uh, sorry, the second game I was playing 10 against Scotland and then Jonathan Davis got injured at 13 and I was selected then at 13. So I couldn't really nail down any position in that Six Nations. So I played fullback, centre and outside half during that Six Nations. So it pretty much summed up my career. But again, going back to what I'm saying, if I couldn't play that many positions, maybe I wouldn't have won as many caps. So it was frustrating at times, but also, you know, it, it was good for me at times as well. What was your favourite position to play and did you have to change your game to fit into any new position? Yeah, my favourite position was uh, 10 or 12, so outside half or centre, um, just because I felt like I was closer to the ball. Um, I had more touches on the ball when I was playing 10 or 12. and 13, I didn't mind so much, but 15, I just felt that I wasn't involved in the game as much as I'd like to have been. Um and definitely, you have to adapt your your game depending on which position you play. Because particularly at international rugby, they're all completely different positions. So, you know, twelve, thirteen, you know, you have to be defensively strong. You know, you have to be defensively strong as a ten. But as a thirteen, you know, you have to defend differently because you have that connection with the winger. And and there's all sorts of different uh, different ways to defend in different positions. So I definitely had to adapt my my game and you know it was, it was tough sometimes to turn up to training on a Monday morning not really knowing what position I'd be playing I would be playing on the, on the Saturday so but I, I adapted to that and uh, you know quite enjoyed it sometimes as well In 2007 Warren Gatland came in to be coach of Wales what impact did he have on the squad and to you personally? Yeah that's a good question I think when he came in we just got knocked out of the World Cup in 2007 so Welsh rugby was in a, a tough place and Gatlin came in and to be honest with you, I don't think he knew a great deal about the Welsh players that he had. Um, and at that time, going back to what you said about the Ospreys, we had a very good team and a lot of Welsh internationals in the Ospreys team. So 
the first game in the Six Nations against England. Gatlin picked uh, 13 Ospreys uh, and Mark Jones and Martin Williams made up the, the 15 players to play against England and we ended up winning in Twickenham for the first time in, in 20-odd years. So that just got us got the ball rolling in Gat, Gatlin, Gatlin's uh, reign and um, we ended up winning the Grand Slam. So he had a, he had a big impact as soon as he arrived. Um, and I was playing 10 initially under Gatlin and then you know that that's when I sort of moved around a little bit then to centre and full back and, and back and forth. So yeah, you know he, he had a successful career with Wales, Gatlin. You know, it's there for everyone to see. So um, yeah, definitely a successful time. In two thousand eight, you were part of the Wales team that won the Six Nations Grand Slam. That must have been a great experience for you. Yeah, it was. It was, and uh, you know, as I said, it, it got the. The ball was rolling after that England game in Twickenham and then we came back to play against Scotland in, in Cardiff uh, and we won, won you know, um, not, not comfortable, but, you know, we, we won that game fa- fairly fairly well. And uh, after that, we played Italy at home and then there was a big, big game against Ireland for the Triple Crown in, in Croke Park and that was a massive game for the Sider back in, in Cardiff against France. And uh, I remember the roof was open that day and, the rain was coming down, but uh, you know I think the crowd were behind us. Momentum was with us at that stage, and you know we, we were never going to get let, let that slip. And uh, yeah, it was a good win, good win, and, and amazing. My first Grand Slam for Wales, and my first big trophy at international level. So it was yeah, good fond memories there. Eh? In two thousand nine, you were included in the Lions squad to tour South Africa. Although you didn't play a Test match on that tour. Can you tell us what it was like to tour with the Lions? Yeah, and, and again, I said earlier about growing up, dreaming of uh, winning a Welsh Cup. Um, and then once you win that Welsh Cup and you sort of establish yourself in the team, you start thinking about the British Lions because, you know, you, as a young boy, I grew up watching the 1997 Lions. Uh, it wasn't a DVD then, it was a tape, it was a VHS. And, uh, you know, I had so, so many good memories there and you, you dream of playing for the Lions then. and. I, I got uh, called up for the Lions tour. I remember Ian McGeechan rang me up and uh, and just said to me, you know, uh, before I was out for food with my wife for her birthday and the phone kept ringing in my pocket. So I just I left it. I obviously didn't think for one minute it was Ian McGeechan. But then when I left the table to, to answer the phone, it, it was him. And he just said, it was only a 30-second minute conversation, just how would you like to come and tour the British Lions to South Africa? So that phone call will live with me forever. And, uh, you know, really, really good memories. So... And the tour itself was a real brutal tour. Uh, we lost the series 2-1. I was on the bench for the last test, but uh, yeah, didn't get on, which is pretty disappointing considering we were, I think we were 19 points up. But uh, it was a great win. And I think the coaches just, just forgot about me on the bench. I think they were too excited to celebrate. Then I forgot about me. Um, <laughs> do you have any funny stories from any of your time on your tour with the Lions or with uh, Wales? Um, oh, I think the story going back to um, the 2008 Grand Slam. I was saying about the Island game, the Triple Crown game. I was on the bus. Uh, so what happens is the, the, the kickers go to the stadium uh, to practice their kick in the day before. So with Gatlin, we didn't go to the stadium. So for example, we didn't go to Croke Park on the Friday to have our team run. We used to go to a local pitch because sometimes the opposition would would film 
the team run to try and get a leg up over the opposition. So we'd stayed away from the stadiums. Only the kickers went there. Mm. And I got back to uh, the hotel after the kicking session and I put my tea in the different bag to what I used to for some bizarre reason. I don't know why. So I thought it was in my main bag going onto the bus and I always carry my bag on the bus. And it was that moment, you know, where you, you feel like you've forgotten your passport and you're checking just to make sure and I was like that with my kicking tee. And I realised I'd forgotten my kicking tee and left it in the hotel room. But we were on the bus. We were on the way to the game. The police motorbikes were in the front of the bus. So I had to walk down the bus and everyone was, the players were getting psyched up. And I had to walk down to, to Neil Jenkins and, and tell him I'd forgotten my kicking tee. So we had to stop stop the bus. The team manager, Alan Phillips, stopped the bus, stopped the police motorbikes and um, I had to give him my room key. The police bike had to go back to the hotel room, get my kicking tee. And uh, to be fair to him, he, he managed to get my teeth in the room and, and he got back to the stadium before the bus did. So there was no panic. And he ended up kicking uh, a penalty to which, which we ended up winning the game in the end against Ireland. So it was all all right in the end. But uh, yeah, as a, as a story from the Triple Crown game in 2008. That almost went a bit too hectic. <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> you should have used yeah. some of, um, Neil Jenkins' sand. They always used to use. I know, yeah. I know, back in the day. God, I worked for him, didn't it? Bit of sand from Tembi. Yeah. <laughs> the Henshaws Insurance Group is one of the top 100 independent insurance brokers in the country and is here to bring you peace in mind. We've been in business for over 50 years and have offices in Newport, Shrewsbury, and Stafford. Our 45 plus strong team deals with both business and personal insurance, and we offer a free, no obligation consultations and quotations so give us a call today in 2011 you joined french side perpignan <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how's it pronounced perpignan yeah so much a mouthful that one per- per- perpignan some people pronounce it perpignan but i i know what you mean don't worry <laughs> uh perpignan why did you decide to move to France and what did you think of your time there? Yeah, that's a good question. I So Perpignan, they, they approached me the year before I actually signed for, for them and I was with the Ospreys and I was I was happy in the Ospreys and as we've already mentioned, we had a great team. We won a couple of league titles by that point um, and I wasn't really thinking of moving really but because Perpignan had come in for me and then they came in for me again the second time and the fact that myself and my wife and I, had, I got three boys now but I had one boy at the time we'd never really moved out to West Glamorgan and I suppose one good thing about rugby is it gives you the opportunity to to have new challenges move to different countries so I, we said you know to each other that perhaps you know an opportunity like this won't come around once I finish playing rugby so now's the time really so that's what I did I signed I signed the contract there and signed for three years in France. And I remember I signed the contract in Cardiff in the Vale Hotel, the the Welsh National Team Hotel. And I was driving home thinking, oh, no, what, what have I done? You know, I've signed now for three years. I'm going to France. I can't speak the language. But I got out there and honestly, it was a, an amazing experience. They looked after us so so well and the rugby, the atmosphere was fantastic. And um, definitely a, a great rugby experience, but a great life experience as well. How do you find the change of culture culture and language in France? Yeah, well, obviously the language is a massive thing. And um, because I signed 
not far off a year before I, I left the Ospreys, myself and my wife had uh, French lessons. So we had a French tutor come to the house just to try and teach us a little bit of the language because because I was an outside half, you have to communicate a lot with the forwards and the backs and the pits. So you have to understand a little bit of the language. So we did that just to get a bit of a head start. Um, but yeah, the culture was different. I found the training out there different as well. So whereas back home, for example, you'd start training at nine o'clock in the morning and you'd be done by sort of half past one, two o'clock. Mm. But over in France, they'd have a siesta, which basically, you know, they have a sleep in the middle of the day. So we, they, you'd wake up, you'd train sort of nine o'clock until 11 o'clock. You'd go home, you'd have your lunch, you'd have a, a sleep for an hour, hour and a half. And then we'd have to come back to training then about four o'clock, half past four. So you know, I wasn't getting home till about six o'clock. So that was a little bit of a change for me, but um, I soon got used to it and uh, yeah, I started to enjoy my lunch a bit more then and uh, enjoy the food a little bit more. In 2014, you left France to join Gloucester. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Gloucester. Gloucester. Oh. Why did you decide to move there? And looking back, how did you enjoy your time at Gloucester? Yeah, now, I, I moved there because, well, the first reason, Perpignan got uh, relegated from the top division in France. So I, I just re-signed actually for Perpignan, um, but because they got relegated, basically that contract then, um, you know, it wasn't the same as what it was when I signed, uh, if you like. And I, I wanted to stay, but basically the club obviously financially weren't in the position then to to keep me and a lot of the other players. So it was about it was up to me then to sort of to move on really. And uh, Gloucester came in for me and. I, it was a no-brainer, really. I went over to see the club and I met Stephen Vaughan, who was uh, the CEO at the time. Uh, he showed me around the club and I remember leaving the club and straight away I was like, yeah, I want to sign you. I love this club. And I'd played for Perpignan against Gloucester the year before and realised how how good the supporters are, how good the rugby is. And just played in, in the English league as well because obviously I would have played, or I did play in the the Celtic League with the Ospreys then I'd played in the French League so it was an opportunity to play in the English League as well um, so I signed there for three years and uh, loved, loved it loved it in the first season I think we won the Challenge Cup um, and you know we, we didn't really threaten too much in the league but we had some great players there uh, Greg Laidlaw Scottish uh, scrum half Richard Hibbard the Welsh hooker English boys like Billy Twelve Trees Johnny May these sort of boys so we, we had a, an excellent team Playing in three different leagues, but different was the rugby different. Was the tempo different? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, it was, and I think in France and in particularly Gloucester, I think because the difference with those leagues is you, you've got the relegation. So you know, particularly if you're hanging around the sort of bottom three or four, you know, every game is massive. So there's a lot of pressure on on those those games, particularly at home. You know, you're expected to win your home games. In France, there's so much pressure piled on you from the start of the week to win your home games and then going away from home, if you come away with anything, you know, it's a bonus. And I remember coming away and, you know, we were getting losing bonus points away from home. The coach would be chuffed, you know, because those points were massive. You then return home to Wales and back to the Ox, Oxney, Oxbees. Do you, you... Always. Always want to finish your career there. Yeah, yeah, I did, and and when I left the Ospreys, I uh, 
I, I said genuinely I wanted to come back at some stage because I was leaving quite early in my career. I wanted to go and experience everything you know, the rugby had to offer, but I did genuinely want to come back. And when I signed for Gloucester, I was coming to the end of my my three years in Gloucester. I was approaching 32, 33. So I thought, if I'm going to go back, you know, now's the time. And um, luckily enough, the Osprey, Steve Tandy was the coach at the time. And I was speaking to him and, you know, that they wanted me back. So it was, again, like a, like a no-brainer, really. I thought, you know, I was gone sort of full circle. I've experienced everything I want to experience. And um, to go back and finish in the Ospreys was uh, was amazing. So I signed for three years again back in the Ospreys. And, um, and yeah, the squad was a little bit different. By then, a lot of the players I'd left uh, my first time in the Ospreys had gone. But um, it was still great to be back um, playing there, but around my family as well, back home, around my grandparents, my parents, brother and sister, and obviously, you know, the in-laws and everyone was settled back home there, my wife and kids, you know. In the Welsh dressing room, who were the real characters? Who who were the ones playing the jokes and pranks on everyone else? <laughs> Oh, we had a few jokers. Um, I think it, so it's too many to to name. I think Mike Phillips was a, was a massive joker, funny bloke, confident. Dandy Powell was another one. Um, but you know, we were just just boys. Like obviously, you're playing a high pressure sport, particularly when you're playing for Wales. But you're in each other's pockets so so much um, that you know you need characters like like Andy Powell and Mike Phillips and. And these sort of boys. So, um, yeah, th- th- there's two probably that uh, were real characters in the squad. You just reminded me of uh, James. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it Andy Powell that was driving a golf buggy up the motorway the wrong way or something? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so after uh, after the Wales Scotland game, we uh, yeah. So don't try this one, boys. Right? <laughs> yeah. He he had a he had a few drinks. So we'd all had a few drinks. We beat in Scotland and. He was, he was he was hungry, so um, he he had a golf buggy from the the Vale Hotel and uh, and drove it down down the M4 to the next junction to the service station to uh, pick up some food. Yeah, so yeah, it uh, gives you a sign of the, of the character he is. That's dangerous. Um, <laughs> look back on your career. What year would you say we saw James Hook as his best? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> I probably two two thousand and nine, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, probably. I think you know, I probably goes into two thousand and eight as well. So eight, nine, and ten were probably my my best years for for Ospreys and uh, and Wales as well. And, and obviously in that time, I, I represented the Lions as well, which was nice. So they were probably my best years, I, I think. The Welsh international team has amazing support. However, club rugby in Wales is not as well supported. Do you think more needs to be done to improve regional rugby in Wales? Yeah, I think it's constantly trying to improve. And, um, you know, what the league has done this this year is, you know, I suppose what's changed the last couple of years, you've got the South African teams that have joined the league. Um, Obviously, recently, you know, you just... With COVID going on, you just seen what has happened to Cardiff and, and Lesley. They stuck out in South Africa, but you know, in terms of the league, I think um, what they're trying to do is play the games away from international weekends. I think you know when the international games are on, everybody's watching the international, so you know no one's really paying attention to to the league games. So what they've done this year is 
put all the league games away from international weekends. So hopefully that'll bring the supporters back in to, to watch the, the club game. But yeah, you know, I think what's going to get people watching games is, is the internationals playing more and more for their clubs. I think when you've got people like, you know, you talk with the Welsh teams, Alan Johnson, uh, Rhys Webb, George North, Justin Tipbrick, if they are playing for the Ospreys, the supporters will come out and, and support them then, you know. So I think the more the internationals can play for their club, the better support of the teams will be and, and hopefully the, the stronger the league will be as well. And Sintra Torring, you, Shane Williams, E. Byrne and Mike Phillips have started your own coffee business called Fab Four. How did that business come about? Um, but it was it was like almost like a bit of a lockdown project initially. Myself and Shane were doing some uh, TV TV stuff and we were in the car on the way to Manchester and we were because myself, Shane, Lee and Mike were great mates and we played for the Ospreys and for Wales and we just now we've all retired, you know, it's, it's a good way of, of keeping in contact with each other. Um we all love coffee and you know, we used to go out for coffees all the time when we were playing with Wales and the Ospreys. So we just said, Well, why don't we, you know, set their own coffee business up so we go on the whatsapp chat and we're going back and forth and um, and that's what we did so it's pretty much I think not far off to this day uh, a year ago we started it up um, and yeah it's gone well and like you say it's it's keeping us in touch with each other um, and at the same time you know we, we're running a little business together which uh, which is, is good fun and uh, uh, you know we all, we all all enjoy it so we've got some really exciting news for the TWS Sports Podcast. We've been shortlisted for a Sports Podcast Award, which is absolutely incredible opportunity for the podcast. So the Sports Podcast Awards are recognised globally. So if you have a sports podcast, you can enter, and there are hundreds of thousands of sports podcasts around the world. And over Christmas, the judges shortlisted us to the final eight. So we are in the best equality and social impact category, we're up against some great podcasts from the BBC. There's one about the Olympics and there's lots of other fantastic podcasts. And it's down to the public to vote for a winner. So we really need you to vote for us if you can. If you just go on www.sportspodcastawards.com and then look into the best equality and social impact category. And please, please, please drop TWS Sports Podcast a vote. We'd really, really appreciate it. Tom, come to you first. How do you feel being shortlisted for for such an award? Well, I'm very grateful for it. And I think it's an achievement for all of us um, to go hit that milestone, really. So, And also, uh, like already mentioned, please make sure to vote, everyone. It is so just an incredible achievement for a small special school in, in England to be shortlisted for an award against these huge TV corporations and, and huge other podcasts such as the Olympics and the BBC. It's just incredible. So we really, really need all our listeners to vote. Please tell your friends and your families and your colleagues to vote as well. It's really simple to do. So just head to www.sportspodcastawards.com, register, search for the best equality and social impact category. It does only take one, two minutes and really, really appreciate your vote. After I come to you, what? How do you feel about being shortlisted for this award? Um, actually, um, that award we give us like um, we try everything we want. Like me, Watkins, Adam, we supported to like uh, the award um, ceremony because um, yeah, we've done. Uh, we're proud of us. Everyone, we're proud. Yeah, definitely. 
we are very proud. I'm, I'm very proud of you boys because it just shows how much your hard work and determination and skills have developed and how it's now been recognized by people globally, how how good the podcast that you host is. So it's down to you, you two boys and your hard work. So congratulations on your shortlisted boys. But we want to win, don't we? So please, please vote for us. And we really, really appreciate all your support. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. You have also written a book called Chasing a Rugby <laughs> Dream. What is the book about and did you enjoy writing it? Yeah, and it was actually when I was in Gloucester, Harrison, who's uh, my eldest boy, he wanted a rugby story um, for kids and we couldn't find one in the book fair after school. So I said I'd have a look online on the internet and I couldn't find one there. I, there was a lot of football stories and uh, some other sports for for kids and the only rugby books really were autobiographies or rugby facts or history of World Cups or things like that, but nothing for kids. So that got me got me thinking, um, especially in Wales, everyone loves rugby, particularly the kids. So when I was growing up, I didn't have any rugby books to read. Um, and if there was, you know, I probably would have read them. So that's what gave me the idea. So I got in touch with my my co-author, Dave Brayley, through a family friend, Mal Pope, um, he put us in touch with each other. Um, I told him about, you know, what I was thinking, my idea, and we, we were both on board straight away. So we got right in the books and yeah, the first one, you know, did really well. And, and the second one's just come out now. So yeah, we, uh, we chuffed with it and, you know, something a little bit different, something I probably didn't expect, uh, you know, if you asked me sort of 15 years ago, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully we can continue to write more as well. So I read a bit in the book, James, <laughs> It's obviously about a child who doesn't quite get on too well with his, his teachers. Is, yeah. there, is that any of you in the book? Is that based on you or complete fiction? So basically it's a, it's a fictional story, but it's based on my, my life uh, in parts on and off the pitch through the eyes of a 10-year-old boy called, called Jimmy Joseph. So, you know, for example, you know, the, there's a teacher in there called Mr. Kane who Jimmy doesn't get on well with. He gets off on the wrong foot. He ends up uh, kicking the ball in the yard. It hits Mr. Kane on the head and, and he has an instant enemy. And he, Mr. Kane happens to be his rugby coach in school. So that doesn't start him off, off on the right foot. And, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Joseph, who's a, he's a 10-year-old boy in the book and he's short-sighted. Uh, he's an asthmatic, as I was growing up. Um, in the book, he's really close to to his grandparents and, and parents, So which which I am. Uh, in real life so you know some of the tries that Jimmy scores in the book reflect some of the tries that I've scored for the Ospreys and and Wales as well so even though it's a fictional story um, you know there's there's a lot of truth in there as well You have started coaching at the Ospreys and Swansea University are you enjoying the coaching side of the game? Yeah I am and uh, I think when I left um, my playing career the Ospreys uh, said they wanted to keep me on as, as an academy coach and um, because Swansea University have got a link with the Ospreys, two of the coaches, myself and another boy, Hugo Staffson, coached the university there. Um, so, yeah, I do enjoy it. And, you know, it's early mornings, early starts with the academy because they're, of course, they're in school or college. So they have to train before they start school or college. So within at seven o'clock in the morning, 
we do our training, they do their weights and conditioning and things, and and then they're off to school or college. But yeah, I really enjoy it, and, and the university as well is a is a different type of challenge. But um, you know, it's a nice first step onto the coaching ladder for me. Um, would you like to be head coach of Wales in the future? Um, no, not not really. You know, I, I do. I've been asked that question a few times, and I really enjoy the development side of it with the the younger boys. You know, so focusing on the skills, you know, the, the fundamentals of the game, the basics, um, trying to you know try to upskill them so they're ready for for the senior game. So as a head coach, you know, ne- never say never, but I, you know, I don't, I don't think that that side of the game is for me. I got to be honest. Uh, the Six Nations are just around the corner. What do you think of Wales' chances heading into the tournament? Yeah, we always, you know, front up well in the Six Nations and um, we obviously won the Six Nations last time out. So, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. I think, I don't know if you boys, did you watch the Autumn Internationals? Did you watch uh, France? <laughs> France beat yeah. the New Zealand. Ireland beat the New Zealand. You know, Scotland playing well. So, there's some informed teams now going into the Six Nations and Wales they lost to New Zealand lost to South Africa only just but they beat Fiji and Australia so you know it's it's, it's going to be tough but you know the Six Nations is is always a different uh, proposition to the autumn so you know hopefully we'll have a few boys back fit as well we've got quite a few injuries at the moment so if we get a few players back uh, there's no reason why you know we, we can't do well and I think we play France Italy and Scotland home this year, so you know England and Ireland away. So you know the away games are going to be tough, um, and, and the home games they're, they're all, all going to be tough. I would just like to say a big thank you again <coughs> to everyone who listens to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Please continue to leave reviews and pass our podcast on to your friends and family. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, James. We really enjoyed speaking with you and it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much, boys. No, I really appreciate it and uh, I've enjoyed chatting and I'll send you some coffee, right? So, boys, James has just gone. How do you feel that podcast went? Tom, how do you think it went? Well, I was interested about everything that he had to say and also I got to learn facts about uh, uh, Glad. Uh, his time joining Gloucester. You <laughs> said that. What? Gloucester. What? Gloucester. <laughs> well, at least I didn't say Chester this time. You just said that. After, what was your favourite bit? My favourite bit is um, his uh, career and then he talked about uh, funny stories about, uh, oh, what's that called? Um, uh, cart. So he told us about funny stories about the car then the world going the motorway. Yes, he talked about Andy Powell on the golf cart, didn't he? Yeah. Driving the wrong way up the motorway, I think. Yeah, I think um, that's a... Yeah, so don't try that. It's a bit dangerous. Yes, isn't it? Don't try that. Definitely not recommended. <laughs> no, do not try this out. It's dangerous. So, boys, thank you so much for another great podcast. Are you still enjoying the podcast? Yep, definitely. Yeah, really amazing. Am. Proper amazing. Tom, what would you say since starting the podcast? Because you've been with us since day one what would you say you've learned and developed most since the start of the podcast well I've mainly learned to interact more and I'm really glad that I've improved on my listening skills and those are the two main core 
uh, values for it, really. Brilliant. Well done. Avatar, you haven't been with us quite so long in the podcast. So since season two, what have you learned and developed most, would you say? Uh, the thing is, mode is like uh, I have to uh, listen to like uh, people what what uh, what people want to say like like different questions like uh, your career, your life like your life childhood and childhood actually yeah, and then um, I have to speak more question to uh, people understand like what's gonna happen all that kind of like um, like uh, yeah really. So um, I have to get more speed. Well then, yeah, after your your speaking skills and your, your reading skills, the questions have really developed and are continuing to develop. So well done, boys. Keep up the amazing work. And if you're listening, please don't forget to leave us a review. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a review. We really appreciate it and we enjoy reading some of the reviews out on the podcast. If you're on social media, then please come and follow us on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. Just search TWS Sports Podcast and you can find us. Right, thank you so much, boys, for another great episode, and we will see you all next week. Take care. Take care. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine. Sports Social Podcast Network.